to see, I need to see some big smiles out there. Can you, can you smile with your eyes? Come on, can you, online fam, can you drop some smile emojis in there? I need you to go ahead and just say some things like, I love my pastor, I love my church, I love Jesus. I, I, I need all, all of those vibes today. I'm, I'm, preaching, I'm preaching a message to the church before the election. No, I no, no, I lost those smiles already. I need, I need some smiles. I need, come on, come on. I need, some, I need some of these heart, some real life, the original heart emoji out there. All right. Um, if you get, if you get mad, uh, if you get mad online, can you at least do it in a southern way? Could you just say, could you just say, bless, bless his heart? Could you just say, somebody, somebody, bless him, Lord, bless him, Lord. And I'll go through there and read this later. Now I'll know what you meant. Would you take um, Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn to Isaiah eight? And I and I promise I'll get there. I wanna I, I, I wanna do a couple of things. I want to um, first of all give you what I'm calling a philosophy, a biblical philosophy of the church of Christian civic responsibility and of politics. So I'm using that word intentionally, philosophy. This is not a, th- a theology. A theology is what we believe about God. This is not a sermon. A sermon is straight from the Bible. So this is just what I would call a biblical philosophy. But our, our philosophy matters. What we think about uh, the political world matters. And I want to show you that. Within that, though, I'm going to give you a mini-sermon. And then when I get through with that mini-sermon, we'll end that. And that's just my introduction. And then we'll go into the real sermon. Okay, so you're getting your money's worth today. You're getting your money's worth today. And so let me just start by giving you this, this, uh, this kind of brief treatise, if you will, about the church, Christian civic responsibility, and politics. And I do believe that there is a difference there. Let me explain what I mean. I believe there's, there's a difference between the response of both the corporate church and the local church, of, of multiplied church. And so there's a difference between the response, the, the vocal voice, the messaging of the church and the voice of individual Christians. And I think if we confuse those, then that's what brings both frustration and confusion to us. So let me explain it this way. When it comes to the political world, I believe that the church is called to address politics from a higher level. Okay, so so let me explain that. What I mean by that is Jesus refused to be made an earthly king, and his kingdom was higher and his message was greater. And so when the church gets overly involved in political messaging, then here's what happens. We, we, we see this. It takes us off message and off mission. And so our mission is lost souls and our message is the gospel. Does that make sense? Everybody say yes. And so if we don't understand that, then we'll get upset at pastors for not addressing political issues enough from the pulpit. Do you, under, do you understand? And that's a fine line because there's biblical stuff that i got to preach the Bible, but one day I'm going to stand in front of Jesus, and he's not going to ask me if I've talked about politics from the pulpit. He's going to ask me if I talked about Jesus from the pulpit. Does that make sense? Everybody say yes. So that's our corporate voice from the church. Now, let me clarify something. When I say that the church has to address politics from a higher level, I don't mean that we avoid issues. 
I mean that we engage those issues, but we engage them from a standpoint of spiritual power, spiritual weaponry, and spiritual strength. So Ephesians 6 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil, where? Not in D.C. I mean, I know you want to read that in there, and sometimes I do too. But where, where are these pri- primarily, where are these spiritual forces that we're called to engage? In the, in the heavenly realms. And so we recognize, we have to recognize that earthly forces of evil, which there are, are an extension of the forces of evil that are going on in the spiritual world. We defeat those through prayer, through fasting, and through the tearing down of strongholds. Let me show you, let me walk you through. So here's now my first mini-sermon. The first mini-sermon is out of Acts chapter 13. If you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn there. Let me give you an example of how Ephesians chapter 6 plays out in the political world. All right? So you say, say like, well, I get that. We're supposed to demolish strongholds and tear down these strongholds in the heavenlies. Pastor, how does that work out in real life when it comes to politics? There's actually an example of this in the book of Acts. So... In Acts chapter 13, beginning at verse 6, I mentioned this last week. Let's dive in a little bit more. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Do you already see the the heavenly battle going on? He had attached himself, watch this, he had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. So watch this. Number one, I believe this with all my heart, that there are demonic influences that Satan places within government that have the ear of and influence over political leaders. Do you see that? Did that happen? And so this spirit of Elimus, I believe that this spirit of Elimus is alive and well within the political systems, both local and state and nationwide. Does it not make sense that Satan is going to go after leadership? Does it not make sense that Satan has a bullseye on political leaders? And so if the enemy used the spirit of Elimus 2,000 years ago to place these demonically inspired key influencers that bend the ear of those who sign laws, who make judicial decisions and all of that. Does it not make sense that the enemy has a plan and the enemy has infiltrated I would, like all, the, all of the, the scope and all of the realm? And I get it. You have certain names and faces. You're like, I know who those people are. You're talking about <laughs> pastor. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> But now watch this. Watch this. Saul, known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked the sorcerer in the eye and he said, my phrase from last week, you son of the devil. 
full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. The second thing we see from this scripture is as spirit-empowered believers, we have the spiritual power to confront and tear down and overthrow the spirit of Elimus. Can you say amen? Our first job is to pray, church. That's not an excuse for not engaging political things. That's not an excuse for not doing all the other things. I'll, I'll get to that. But our first response, it's not just a nice Christianese thing to say that we're going to pray for the election. We got to pray for the election. And when we pray for the election, we have to engage and confront those spiritual powers that have infiltrated government. And we have the spiritual power now because we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can look those things in the eye and tear them down in the name of Jesus. Tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., say 6 a.m., y'all look so rested, got an extra hour of sleep. I'm going to ask you to put that to work tomorrow morning. 6 a.m., whether you join us online or in the house, we are going to engage those things. We're going to pray. We're going to go in. We're going to do some spiritual warfare, and we are going to believe that the Lord Most High that cast down the spirit of Elimus 2,000 years ago is going to do it. To, can, can, we do, can we just do that now for a moment? Would you take about 15 seconds right now? Come on. Can we do this as a church Father, we step in in the name of Jesus. We confront the spirit of Elimus. I confront every uh, plant, every enemy assignment in the political world, and I tear those things down. We tear those things down in the name of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus. We call them evil. We say that they do not belong in local government, in state government, or in our nation's capital in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now watch what happens when we do this. Verse 12, when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer. Come on, somebody. What if, what if, what if, what if the face and the name of that person that you don't like, that you want out of there or in there or over there or whatever it is. What if we tore down that spirit of Elimus and it was not evil within themselves, but it was the devil trying to influence them. And what if they fell to their knees and gave their heart to Jesus? Amen. We need that kind of revival. And I believe, so, so this is a spirit-empowered church, Amen. This is a Pentecostal church. What does that mean? It means that we believe that everything that happened in the Bible can happen today. And I believe that that can happen. Now, that was just a taste. We're going to go in tomorrow at 6 a.m. Y'all join us. So that was just a little mini sermon. Let me get back to the... Let me get back to the philosophy. So I said, as the church, that's how we deal with politics as the church. As individual Christians, by point to yourself, say, that's me. That's me. As an individual Christian, I believe that we all have a civic responsibility, right? So Paul appealed to his rights as a Roman citizen. This is not the end all, but I believe that these five things are part of our civic responsibility. Number one is to pray. Number two is what we talked about last week. You got to know that pitch and you got to know the lyrics. You got to know what the Bible says about the issues. 
Not what your brother-in-law posted on Facebook about the issues, what the Bible says about the issues. And then I believe you need to decide your top issues and match those issues with the Bible. With the Bible. What does the Bible say about, well, pastor, what what are those issues? I've got mine. I've got three top issues that I personally believe that these policies are on the table. And so I told myself I'm going to stick to my notes, and I'm going to stick to my notes. But you got to you got to decide what are your issues, and what does the Bible say about those? Number four, then know what your candidate believes, not what somebody said that that candidate believes, but what is their history, what is their track record, how do they vote on these issues, and vote accordingly. And then number five, we're going to pray again, and we're going to go to work. And so when we know who wins the election next Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or the following Thursday or in a month, whenever that is, whenever that is, you know what we're going to do again? We're going to pray and we're going to get in here and we're going to worship and we're going to go to work and we are going to come against abortion in the name of Jesus through Great Gate Pregnancy Center. And we're going to continue to preach the biblical sanctity of marriage through our marriage ministry and next generation ministry. And we are going to fight against issues of race and justice through the Dream Center, and we are going to continue to preach Jesus every single week. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. All right, now y'all ready for the message? Here's the message. Here's the real message. Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 10. A message to the church before the election. Plan, plan, and plot. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet. Um, It was not a good political situation, by the way. Assyria um, was about to overtake Israel, and so this is the words of the prophet, the words of the Lord through the prophet. Plan, plan and plot all you want. I love this. Nothing will come of it. I just want to remind the devil that today. Plan and plot all you want, devil. Nothing's going to come of it. All your talk is mere talk, empty words, because when all is said and done, God's last word is Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everybody else does. Can I just tell you that if you have found yourself saying, it feels like I'm the only sane one around here, then you're in good company. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. And don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one that will make you tremble. Several thoughts just right out of God's word. Number one, in this election, I I need you to to preach this to yourself. I need you to preach this to yourself today and tomorrow. And I I need you to begin to preach to John Bevere. I read it this, this week, and he said this. He said, we need to stop listening to ourselves and stop speaking to ourselves. And start speaking to ourselves. Can you say amen? I don't know about you. I listen to these voices too much, and I don't speak to them enough. And we're going to speak the word of God. The word of God says, don't call conspiracy what others call conspiracy. Verse 12, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. In 
this situation, Isaiah was speaking about reliance of the people of God upon government and upon political alliances, i.e. anything other than the Lord for their protection and their provision. It doesn't mean that government doesn't serve a role of protection and provision. It doesn't mean that we should not vote accordingly. It just means that my ultimate protection, my ultimate provision does not come from the United States. It comes from the King of Kings. But when you start leaning into conspiracy, has anybody heard just one or two conspiracies over the last six months say yes? And God says, God says, don't do it. I'm even saying my opinion. I don't know that some, some of them might be true. I don't know. I don't know. But what happens? It gets us off message and off mission because my mission is the lost and my messaging is Jesus. And so if I'm watching more conspiracy theories than I am in the word of God, guess what's going to be up here? And then all of that leads to, see verse 1 and two, or verse 12a and verse 12b are connected. So they were all into these conspiracy theories. And then the second thing is God has not called us to live in fear or dread. The Bible says, and don't live in dread of what frightens them. What was frightening them? All the conspiracy theories that were going around. Do you see this? Do you see this from the Bible? It's so, there's like, it, it, you'd, you'd think that we would have progressed in 6,000 years, but it's the same stuff in the same political realm that we're, that we're dealing with. Don't live, in, don't live in dread. I wanna speak that into your spirit today. Don't live in dread. There's a difference between being aware. There's a difference between being concerned. There's a difference between taking action, both spiritually and with your vote as a, as a Christian. But, but you don't have to live in dread. You don't have to live in dread. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, there was, uh, I didn't realize this guy was real. Black Bart, y'all ever heard of him, Black, Black Bart? He was real, he was a real guy. And he robbed 29 stagecoaches during this time, just wreaked havoc on Wells Fargo at this time. Amazingly, he did it all without firing a single shot. He never fired a shot. And because the key was that he, he covered his, his face. The key was in the fear behind it. It wasn't in the actual thing. It was in the fear behind it. Sometimes I think that we get so focused on something that, that, that we act out of the fear. It's not the actual thing. It's the fear behind the thing. And if the enemy knows that if he can get us so focused on whatever it is, whatever that conspiracy, whatever that fear is, whatever that dread is, as I focus on it, I begin to lose my courage. Well, how do I get rid of it? The Bible tells us then in verse 13. So this is how, this is one way that if you're living with fear and if you're living with dread, that you can break that fear and break that dread. Verse 13 says, make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. Uh, let me keep reading here. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. Hear me. Holiness and the fear of God is the thing in your life that will break the fear of the enemy. Holiness. Living for God. The fear, the fear of God. I probably don't preach enough about that, that like I should. Like, like people, how many of you grew up and, and you heard a lot of messages on the fear of God? How many of those things worked? You came out of, come on, you grew up in church at a, at a Pentecostal church or a Baptist church. 
and your little eight-year-old self went into the bathroom and came out and you couldn't find your mama, you knew the rapture happened. You were running into the altar. You got saved every, every altar call. Hear, hear somebody whispering, you've been left behind, you know, before you fall. Like the fear of God. Like it was all about, and we, we had a, in some ways we had the fear of God, but then it kind of went into an unhealthy fear of God. And you're like, wait a second, I'm not supposed to live like this. And, and, and so maybe, but perhaps we've gone too far the other way. Perhaps we've lost some of that respect, some of that holy awe. And so let me, let me say it like this. Let me say it like this. Sometimes you fight fire with fire, but some, or sometimes you fight fire with water, and sometimes you fight fire with fire. So what I mean by that is sometimes the only way to break the fear of the enemy or the fear of man or the fear of circumstances or the fear of what if this happens or what if this person is in office or, or what if all of all of those what if all of those what if sometimes the only way to break that is with the fear of God. There's a story uh, about young uh, Teddy Roosevelt, and there was this local local church that uh, Teddy's mom, Mitty, would always take them to, and Teddy, like, wouldn't go in the doors. Like, just all of a sudden, like, I'm so scared. And his mom was like, why are you scared? And, and young Teddy looked at his mom, and, and he said, uh, it's, the, it's the zeal. I'm scared of the zeal. And his mom was like, I'm scared? You're scared of the zeal? What? What do you mean I'm scared of the, so you're scared of the zeal? I'm scared of the zeal. And his mom said, well, well can you explain? What, what do you mean by, by the zeal? And he said, well, I, I guess it's like, like a dragon or, or like something with a, a sharp teeth. And, and I think it's hiding out in the, in the corner. And his mom was like, what, what on earth is he talking about? And so she just grabs a concordance and she sits young Teddy down. She starts reading all of these verses, anything to do with anything to do with zeal. She starts reading to him. And finally, she found John 2.17. And when she read John 2.17, his eyes lit up. He says, that's it, mama. That's it. That's it. John 2.17 says, and the disciples remembered that it was written, the zeal of thine house of thine house hath eaten me up. That's what, that's what Teddy was afraid of, the zeal of the house. And so I'm not trying to make you afraid of God like Teddy was. I'm not trying to make you afraid of, of church like Teddy was. But what about, what about a return to holiness? But what about a, a healthy respect for the things of God? What about teaching the next generation to have that healthy respect for the things of God? Could it be the reason why we have so much fear is that we have so little fear of God? If you don't have the fear of God, then you'll live in constant fear of everything else. Number four, let's go back up to verse 10. Go back up to verse 10. Remember Remember, this is what I got to preach to myself. I got to preach this to myself. Remember that God is in control of those who are in control. Remember that God is in control of those who are in control. Verse 10, plan and plot all you want. Nothing will come of it. All your talk is mere talk, empty words. Romans says everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Let's just chalk that up as one of the verses we'd like to remove. But it's there. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which is from God. I remember several years ago, my, my daughter was into, uh, was, in, was into Barbies. And this is what she got to know about Anna. 
Anna, Anna, is, Anna is passionate, but her passion is short-lived. And so you don't know, you don't know, is she going to be in this, like, how, how long is this, is this passion going to last? And so I remember, I forget which birthday it was, but, but it, I mean, everything was Barbie. The cake was Barbie, and the, the decorations were Barbie, and everything, was, and everybody that came over, they got her, got her all, all of this Barbie stuff, and I think it literally lasted one week. I mean, and I mean, like, just complete, completely done. But here's what I remember, let me, let me explain this about that, that short-lived Barbie season. If those, if those dolls somehow were alive, if those dolls somehow had cognitive thought and things that were going on, and, and, and Anna was right over them, and, and if they thought that, oh, Anna's making all the decisions about what I'm going to wear and where I'm going to sit at the dinner table and what I'm going to eat and what car I'm going to ride in and, and what I'm going to do with my life after I graduate high school. And like Anna, if they thought that Anna was in control, even though I was not in the house, I might have been at work and so they couldn't physically see me. Can I just say, make no mistake, Anna was not in charge of that situation. I was. I was in charge of that situation and all the other toys in the house. And can I remind you that just because you can't see with your physical eyes the activity of your heavenly father and sometimes all you see is the mess and the disaster and everything can I remind you that God's still in control God's still in control of this thing and I think we got to remind ourselves it doesn't excuse action it doesn't say oh well God's in control and so I'm not going to do anything God's in control so I'm not going to engage God's in control so I'm not no it doesn't excuse it but it reminds me that even if things don't go the way I want them to go I serve a heavenly father that's going to walk back in the house someday and he's going to set everything right and he's going to clean up all the messes and he's going to issue judgment that is right and true and fair and the last thing is this as the band comes on up when all is said and done the last word is Jesus God God gets the last word y'all God gets the last word over every debate God gets the last word over every newscast, God gets the last word. Out of every editorial opinion, God gets the last word. Out of every post on social media, God gets the last word. God gets the last word. He may be silent for a season, but when God speaks, it will, it will rule and reign all of the other words. They will fall. It says this, this is straight from Scripture, because when all is said and done, the last word is Emmanuel, God with us I, I love sometimes I love watching I know this sounds counterintuitive but especially when it comes to my, my teams my sporting teams the ones that, that I really have a vested interest in like who's gonna win I love watching games that have been DVR'd and I already know that my team won like the because those, those, are, those are fun to watch, like, because I remember, or at least I tried to, and, and so uh, several weeks ago, before sports had kind of gotten kicked back up, you know, they were running all the old games, they were running all the old basketball games, and all the old college football games, and, and some of the old NFL games, and, and one of the channels was running a replay of the 2011 Super Bowl, so last time, uh, my Steelers won the Super Bowl, and they were playing the Arizona Cardinals, and 
And the Steelers were up most of, most of that game, but it was ticking on down to the end of the fourth quarter. And all the Steelers had to do was stop the stop Kurt Warner and stop Larry Fitzgerald and stop that offense. All they had to do was stop them one more time. It was about less than three minutes remaining on the clock. And I remember that slant play. I remember that slant play where Larry Fitzgerald Burns, Ike Taylor, and the safety stepped up too much. And, and Larry Fitzgerald caught that pass from Kurt Warner in stride, turns up the field, 70 yards, 70 yards touchdown, and the Cardinals are up for the first time. And there's only two minutes and some seconds. And I had to, I was watching that, but I was getting all anxious, like all, all over again. I was getting all anxious, even though, even though I knew the end result. And then the Steelers got the ball back in the first place, so they were pinned like back at their 15-yard line. I was like, okay, but we got we got Big Ben. He's a comeback guy, and we got some good receivers out there. And, and, and so uh, first pass was a good pass, and then flag got set back, another false start on the Steelers. And so now we're like all the way back at the 10-yard line or something like that. And, and, and all my nerves, like 10, 10 years later, and all my nerves are, are, are racked up, and the Steelers go down the field, and, and, and there's just a few seconds left on the, the clock, and, and he finds, he finds there was, it was first a goal inside the 10-yard line, and Ben throws this perfect pass, and a lot of people don't remember this on first down, but the ball went straight through Santonio San Holmes's hands in the left corner of the end zone. And I got to tell you, even though I knew I was getting all anxious and I was getting all nervous when Fitzgerald scored that touchdown and when there was a penalty and when the receiver, but I had to continually remind myself on that next play, on that next play, when Santonio's toes were about an inch away and he over Ben fires that thing over three defenders and when he makes that grab and pulls it in. Church, sometimes we got to remind ourselves because it doesn't always look like Jesus is winning, right? It doesn't always look like Jesus is winning and I got to preach to myself and I got to remind myself that he's coming back. I got to remind myself Jesus wins. I got to remind myself Jesus wins. I got to remind myself that no matter who wins next Tuesday, Jesus always wins. Jesus always wins. But, but, but here's the thing, y'all. I still struggle. I still struggle with this because I know that Jesus wins ultimately. What about now? What about now? What about raising my kids in the middle of all this mess? What about... We've got a... We've got an app that's, that we're working on to come out, and so we were going through it as a staff, and um, we're looking back at, at the past series, and uh, one, of the, one of the series had been, had been misspelled. I don't know if you remember this series. And so I, I, preached, uh, I preached a series in June called Exiting COVID. You remember that, you remember that series? And it was misspelled, and it said Existing COVID. And I was like, well, that's fair. That's fair. Because I thought, I thought we preached a series called Exiting COVID, and we'd be out of COVID by the fall, and here we are in November, and we're still, it's still existing COVID. Like, I'm still, de- by the way, those messages are still true. 
I just might have had my timeline off again. But the Word of God in those, you know, come out with generosity, come out praising. I don't know when I come out, but I'm still going to come out generous. I'm still going to come out praising. I'm going to still come out glorifying the Lord. But here, here's the point of all that. Like, I, Jesus, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know you win. I know we win this thing. But what about now? What about now? And I think it's strategic. Oh, my goodness, the Lord is on this. He's on this. He's on this in your situation. I think it's strategic that Isaiah says that the last word, the last word is what? The last word is what? Emmanuel. Emmanuel, meaning God is with you today, right here, right now, in the middle of all that's going on, in the middle of the turmoil, Emmanuel, God with you, in the middle of the fear, God with you, in the middle of the diagnosis, God with you, in the middle of the hurt, God with you, right here, right now, I don't know what you walked in here with today, but God with you, in the middle of the loss of the family member, God with you, in the middle of the insecurity about the economy, God with you, Emmanuel, God with you, God with you, God with you. You, God with you, God with you, not just someday in the future. Oh, it's gonna be the best day, but God with you today, right here, right now. Would you stand and would you let me pray this over you today? As you're standing, if you would just say, Pastor, that's me. I'm dealing with something. I'm battling with something. I've got anxiety. I've got emotions. I've got things that are all over the place. But I need to know right now that God is with me. God with us. God with us. God with us. If he is for us, then who can be against us? God with us. I pray Emmanuel over your emotions. I pray Emmanuel over your mind. I pray Emmanuel over your business. I pray Emmanuel over your children and your children's children. I pray Emmanuel over this church God be with us God God be with us we need your presence Lord we need your love Lord and we choose today to be people that will focus our eyes on the eternal King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because you win in Jesus name